Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Well, welcome inside to Alex Garrett Podcasting. And in just a minute, uh, I'm going to talk with Jeff Mordock, who has had a big promotion at the Washington Times. And uh, he is covering the White House. Now, we'll get, to, we'll get into that and how he became White House correspondent. But for the moment... For the moment, uh, personal note, just had a uh, little health issues here. And, you know, this is keeping me real Alex Garrett, so I'm going to keep it real. I had some health issues, and it got so bad that on Friday, I did almost feel like Jimmy Stewart and It's a Wonderful Life. feeling as well on Friday and yet here we are Monday feeling pretty good and uh, thank you God for getting me through that thank you family for getting me through that and friends as well and so here we are and I don't I always believe he's with us no matter what but sometimes you have to call out to him and I'm glad I did because I feel like I got his guidance and his help and his love this weekend. And so thanks be to the Lord. And now I want to turn it over to Jeff Mordock of the Washington Times. Tell our listeners what new role you've got. It's a pretty exciting one. And I was excited when you told me off the air. Where are you now at the Washington Times? Welcome, by the way. I am now their White House. I am now, thank you. I am now their White House reporter. Has of, um, Late June, I was moved up from the Justice Department to the White House, and now I am covering um, all all that's going on in the Biden administration. And there is a lot. Just even this morning, there is a lot. Well, let's let's get now, to that in a second. But I want to I want to get to the fun stuff. You're a White House correspondent. Yeah. How does that title feel? How does it feel like? Is it what they say it is like? <laughs> it's awesome. It, it's a lot of fun. First of all, it's a lot of fun. Uh, just to go to the White House because you go into the White House and it's just overwhelming to you know flash your your press pass to security and have them and go through the gates. I mean, it's just humbling. Whether it's a Democrat president or a Republican president, it doesn't matter. It's still the White House. It's still the People's House, and it's just so exciting to go in there. And um, I get to do fun things like I flew in an Osprey. Uh, last weekend because I was traveling to Delaware with the president to cover his vacation. That was the start of his vacation, which he he came back for to celebrate infrastructure. And at some point, I'm going to get to fly on Air Force One. I get to ask Jen Psaki all kinds of questions during the press briefing. So if your listeners are watching the press briefing sometime, take a look for me. Um, I'll be asking her hard questions. Well, I was going to say, Jen, answer and. you you, You can still be a little bit opinionated, right? Like just because the White House gave you this opportunity... Does it, do you feel like you have to be a little more 
uh, polished in your critique of them? Or can you still be, as you just said, they won't answer my question, that type of criticism? No, you can still be uh, critical of, of this. And, and I think that's the role of the reporter. Again, whether it's a Republican administration or a Democrat administration, you need to be um, asking them tough questions and holding them accountable. Uh, that's our job. I'll tell you something that bothered me recently. I went to a uh, event. I, I won't say the name of the event, but I went to an event and there were reporters there, reporters who have to ask Jen Psaki questions, taking selfies with her. And that really bothers me to no end to see that because we should always have an accountability role. And again, it would bother me whether it was Jen Psaki or Sarah Sanders. Either right. way, it, it's disconcerting. Well, you know, you, you're coming from a, a Sarah Sanders, but you also come from a fire breathing in, in Kaylee McEnany to this. And this is just a circle back. Is the circle back phenomenon real? Like you're watching this in real time now. It's well, the circle, but nobody ever gets back to you. <laughs> That's the thing. It's we'll circle back to you and then you never hear anything. Uh, an example of something I've been trying to do is. Back in June, uh, the Biden administration announced that he was going to. I just mentioned a minute ago, is someone messing with my Skype because we're talking about this? What is going on, Jeff Mordock? You're back, though. Thanks for coming back. I am back. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on. Who, who knows? You know, Skype Skype can be spotty, so you well, never look, know. Or the NSA could be involved. I'm oh, kidding. look, I'm kidding. if I get in a, in, a, in a sweep, we'll know, right? So anyway, uh, yeah. Jeff, Jeff, you were just talking about that. And yeah, the selfies with reporters, very bothersome indeed. But because mm-hmm. it's like, do they care about Afghanistan collapsing in a matter of a week? It's like, does the journalists, the reporters that you work alongside – do they care as much as you do that, yeah, we just lost Afghanistan after 20 years of hard-fought blood, sweat, and tears to protect that area? It, oh, I it, think they do. I think they do. And I think reporters, whether you know you view – and I know people out there have public – have view they brand some reporters as conservative, some reporters as liberal. I don't necessarily think that's fair. But even if you view a certain reporter or a certain outlet has a left wing – I mean, the, the criticism and the concern I've seen is pretty um, uh, from from my fellow reporters is 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 definitely real. And, and to that end, um, MSNBC, which we can all agree is liberal, and we can all agree has cheerleaded the Biden administration in its efforts, they've been extremely critical of the president this weekend. Extremely critical. So um, yeah, I, that is actually relieving to hear. That is relieving to hear, to be honest with you, because yeah. you you get. When you're in conservative circles, you get swept up in that phenomenon like, oh, these other guys, they don't know. But obviously you're showing that they do know what's going on. They care to report. But I think everybody's wondering yeah, where this, Joe— I mean, this has not been ignored by anybody. I mean, the Washington Post this morning in their A1, in their A section, I don't even know how many pages they dedicated to it. But it took up, I would say, three-quarters of their A section, which is unusual for the Post to dedicate that much to anything. So uh, and I was, I'm not I was entirely in... sure if it's exactly three-quarters, but it's a good amount. I don't know where you were. I was in fifth grade in 2001 when, when we actually started to go into Afghanistan after 9-11. And, you know, it's been a 20-year war. And it's just – there's a difference between a never-ending war and a war that we just abruptly leave because they feel like, – I don't know. It just feels like they miscalculated all this. Would you agree? But Would you agree with that? I would agree. I would agree. And, well, Biden owns this and this failure is, is on him and he's the face. 
you can point to mistakes made by George W. Bush. You can point to mistakes made by Barack Obama, and you can point to mistakes made by Donald Trump that has led to this. This is a Biden error, and this is a Biden mistake and a Biden miscalculation. That being said, part of this failure has to be owned by his by the three previous presidents. And uh, neither of the three of them may not own that up. So they'll just pile on Biden, especially Trump. We know how he is. But I've got to ask you, as the White House correspondent, are they even active today? You just said, well, you said you weren't around there, but are they even active today answering questions about this? No, no, they are not. Um, it's interesting. Um, as a matter of fact, if you email Jen Psaki a question, you get an auto, you get an out of office response telling you that she's on vacation this week. Now, I'm not going to criticize her for going on vacation. She's had a pre-scheduled vacation. She's not among uh, the White House's um, decision makers. She is more of a spokesperson uh, giving information to reporters. I don't necessarily – she has people who fill in for her from time to time who do White House briefings. I don't think that's fair to criticize her for taking her pre-planned vacation this week. However, President Biden's pre-planned vacation – continuing is a different story. And I think he deserves a tremendous amount of criticism for not having any public events on his schedule, for not taking time to address the people, to address the American people. We're hearing from the White House he will address the White House, the administration's uh, – sorry. He will address the American people soon. They will not what does that mean? I'm watching on CNN coming could, days. What, yeah. what does coming days mean? <laughs> Well, I think what he's waiting for, my guess would be, and I don't know for certain, is he's waiting for things to improve on the ground to tout that. But if he's waiting for things to improve, he's going to have to wait a couple of decades here, if that, because this is just rapidly deteriorating. And it's not going to get any better because pretty soon the image is going to be the Taliban raising the Taliban flag over Kabul if that hasn't happened in the time you and I have been talking. And that's just a terrible image. We've already had horrible images coming from Afghanistan. You've got to address this. This is a full-fledged humanitarian crisis. This is more than an embarrassment for the United States, which it is a tremendous embarrassment for the United States. It is a full-fledged humanitarian crisis. I don't know how anybody can not look at the video of people clinging to planes and holding on to the fuel silage. And the gentleman in Afghanistan has the American plane flew out, was dangling from the fuel silage to try to get out of there, and he fell to his death. We should all consider that these people are choosing basically a suicide attempt to get out of there to question, well, how bad is it if they stay? And it's the same question to bring this to full circle on 9-11 when we saw people – and I lived in New York City on 9-11. I saw this with my own eyes – people falling out of the World Trade Center, jumping out of the windows, and it made you wonder what hell was going on in there that this was the better option for them. And it's the mm. same thing going on in Afghanistan. What hell is awaiting these people that this is the better option to basically risk certain death by hanging on to a fuel sludge in a desperate attempt to get out of there? Horrible. Now, I've got to ask you this because you are the White House correspondent for the Washington Times. An image was circulating of Biden looking in the warm... Like, did you see this image? He was looking at the... looks like a Zoom. Yeah. What Can you address that for a minute? Because yeah. everybody's like, oh, he looks by himself. But what was he really doing? What was the backstory of that image of him just sitting there yeah, I've seen so on Zoom? i seen rumors about that. It's amazing. And I won't repeat them because I, I don't think that's right to repeat unfounded rumors. But I've seen so much rumors and so much misinformation about that. So basically, Biden went to Camp David um, 
his vacation. He didn't bring a lot of staff because it is an isolated retreat. I, to, to tell you how isolated it is, um, when the president goes on vacation, any president, whether it's Biden, Trump, Obama, George W. Bush, uh, the press follows. So, for example, Biden was in vacation, was doing vacation last week in Wilmington. As a member of the press, I had full duty. I went up to cover it. Camp David is the only part of a president's vacation where the press is not allowed. And they really keep who comes in and out of Camp David. They really keep that light. So when the president goes to Camp David, that's who, again, whoever the president is, that's the only time the press doesn't doesn't follow. I know people who have been White House reporters going back to the George W. Bush administration that have never been to Camp David. So the fact that he's isolated there, it was not surprising to me because of how few people ever come to Camp David. So he's in Camp David. He's on the Zoom call. He's by himself, and he's being updated by various officials in various spots across the globe, and they're talking to him via Zoom. Um, that's, I mean, that's the image. Um, it, that image probably did not project what the White House wanted it to project, which was an image of the president in charge. It certainly did not send that vibe. But the fact that he was by himself, I think a lot of people read more into that than they need to. Well, if he's on Zoom with people, then that we should let him, you know, we should let him be on that that front. Anyway, is how I see it. But no, it's just amazing. One image, everybody goes crazy. And I remember in 2012 when they showed Obama in the war room after, or 2011, I guess, when we killed Bin Laden in the war room, and people were like making jokes about that, which I never understood anyway. But anyway. Uh, well, this, but the thing about that, the difference here is in that war room, Obama was in the White House and he was in the White House war room with all the staff, whereas Biden was at Camp David. The other thing that, you know, we all ought to remember comparing that photo from 2011 to the photo of Biden in 2021, there's still a pandemic raging and social distancing is still a thing and keeping people separated is still a thing. And, you know, that's probably part of the reason why Biden was in there alone. I, I, I can't imagine that room is that big. You know, one of the things that stunned me coming to the White House is how much bigger everything looks on TV. The White House pressing room, press briefing room is, is surprisingly small. The White House press area where you sit, you'd be surprised how small it is. The size of my desk, you'd be surprised how small my desk is. And not just me. I have a New York Times reporter who sits next to me. His desk is just as small as mine. I had a much bigger desk at the Justice Department, and that's not a criticism. I'm, I don't care the size of my desk. I really don't. But the point is you don't understand how small these things are. So it might be hard to get more than one or two people into that room and still socially distant is, is the point I'm trying to make with that. For listeners who have not heard Jeff, heard Jeff on this podcast before, I, I got to say, Jeff, we've come a long way because when we first started, we talked about taxes on NFL stadiums, and now we're talking about you in the yes, White House, right? I remember that. Yes, I remember that. That was yes, um, yeah. That now we're talking about Afghanistan. Yes, it's it's been a lot. That was and that was four years ago. Show long you and I have been friends. And how much you've moved up, and how much diverse I guess I've gotten as a podcaster. So it's all good there. All right. Yep. Yeah, the other thing about Jen Saki, as you're talking about all this, is um, she did sing "Happy Birthday" to a reporter. A couple. I don't know if you were there for that, but I was like, "What is that about?" I was there for that. It's kind of weird, wasn't it? That it was not a good look. Uh, that was not a good look. It shows that was not a good look to the American people. You know, it, it shows a chumminess that we should not see. Uh, I would personally, and I don't know that reporter. I, I, I mean, I know the reporter who he is. I don't know him personally. I don't know anything about him. If that were me, I would be very embarrassed about it. 
Um, I think it shows a chumminess that makes people question your um, question your part, whether or not you're partisan or not, that you've got the press secretary. Um, the press secretary, uh, another reporter in the press briefing room recently got engaged. Um, Jen Psaki congratulated them and made a point of pointing out that they had a ring on them. I don't think that's as bad as singing happy birthday to them. But it's not a good look because, you know, the American people are skeptical and the American people think this is all just one big club here in Washington and stuff like that. All that does is just reinforce that notion, which um, which I don't think is good for the American people. And I don't think it's good for the country. Well, I'm going to ask you this because I felt like every day in the Trump White House was chaos. Right. That's how the media put it. But it, wouldn't you say this yeah. is the first real test and, and first time that while inflation and everything has been going on, but this is the first time the media has really stopped and said, okay, we have some issues with the Biden administration. Uh, and I feel like this is the first time it in, is, in eight months. Because this, so, this is so egregious, you can't ignore it. And, and the images coming in on our TV screens are so bad, you can't ignore it. I mean, you have people shooting at each other on tarmacs to get onto planes. That is an image that's being sent. Uh, into American living rooms uh, all weekend long. That's something you can't ignore. I'll give you an example of something that I thought was incredibly embarrassing and a crisis for the Biden administration last week that was virtually ignored by everybody because there's no video, there's no images, there's no statement. So it's easy to ignore and not send those images out to the American people. But last week, uh, President Biden called on OPEC to ramp up production of oil. Now, what's so interesting about that is he... um, has really hamstrung American domestic oil producers. So it's somewhat embarrassing to limit domestic oil production and then go over to these countries that hate us and are not not our friends and demand that they increase oil and basically beg them to increase oil production to lower gas prices. That's embarrassing. And that is a crisis for this administration that I have not seen this administration address. Now, have you uh, been to a Biden presser uh, himself and, and seen and him? At, did, that did not get a lot of play in the media. No, it did no, not. Exactly. And uh, No, it's all good. And I remember when the Trump administration was in, actually oil was pretty down. And, and the oil, oil prices now are rising, gas prices are rising. It's just, that's a mess. But I want to know, have you been to a Biden press conference? Is it as ven- as adventurous as it looks to us, whether we see it online or, or in real time? Because it looks adventurous the way he's talking well, we and stumbling seen- and whatnot. We haven't, you know, honestly, his press conferences, they're very scripted. They're very short. You know, you look at Trump and he would go out and he would take questions from the media. Biden, it's, he's very careful who he calls on. He limits it to about three or four questions and he does it at the end of a speech. So he will give a big, long speech about infrastructure. And then he will take two or three questions that's timed on infrastructure. I don't know if you saw this the other about. Two weeks ago, he had the Iraqi prime minister there, and he was only answering questions about Iraq. And Kelly O'Donnell of NBC News asked him a very good, very smart question about COVID masks. I forget exactly what her question was, but he clearly was agitated. He clearly was annoyed and actually even said to her that you're a real pain in the neck. And I'm trying to sit here and talk about Afghanistan, and you want to talk about masks. And it really shows how um, his disdain for the media. Another example of that 
is last week he had his press conference to tout his infrastructure bill, and all the media asked him about was Andrew Cuomo. And Biden had stuck his foot in his mouth because a reporter asked him to assess how Cuomo did as governor, and Biden's response was he did a hell of a job. And Caitlin Collins of CNN, to her credit, went after him saying, how can you say that given, you know, his record and how he's treated women and how, you know, what we know from this attorney and general. And, you know, Jeff, only a million, hundreds of thousands. really only, annoyed with her. And, you know, only thousands of people leaving New York because of the state's taxes. And I remember in 2014, he right. told the conservatives and pro-lifers, we don't want you here. Like – what kind of governor talks like that? But that's besides the point. We play that in New York, right. as you know, all the time, uh, every every minute of that day after he said it. So we, we, we know what he said about Andrew Cuomo. Let's put it that way. But, you know, then Caitlin Collins, how can you say he did a hell of a job given his track record and what the attorney general's? And he got very annoyed and very flustered and actually lectured her about not asking about infrastructure. So. He really is, is. It's interesting because all we heard from the press was, oh, Trump hated the press, Trump hated the press. But if you ask me, I see more. Now, I didn't cover the Trump administration, so maybe it's different, but I see a tremendous amount of animosity towards the press from the Biden administration. And I will give you one other example, if, if you don't mind. Um, so on travel pool duty, the press does not get any contact with Biden. He goes in and out of public events, and we shout questions at him, and he doesn't answer them. And he has there's sort of the sense, although it's never officially said that when he's in Wilmington, that's his house. He's off duty and he's not going to answer press questions. You can debate that either way. But when Trump was people had full duty with Trump and he was down at Mar-a-Lago, he answered a lot of questions. From the press. He did not. He and didn't. he took their questions. You, you missed the lawn no, days, man. You, you missed being on the lawn with him. That would have been interesting to be on those lawn press conferences every day. That was quite a sight, actually. Yeah. And honestly, I think some of that hurt Trump in the end. I think, to be honest with you, I think one of his problems was he got overexposed by constantly doing those COVID press conferences and doing those press conferences. He took them over, and I think he got overexposed, and um, I think he needed to I, – I think he should have reined it in a little bit. I, I think, honestly, those press conferences, I, I think, played a factor in his defeat. I really do. Jeff, I know you don't like reading the rumor mill and whatnot, so I'd rather ask you, when someone says, oh, Biden has dementia or has cognitive issues, are you seeing that in the press conference, or are you just seeing him being belligerent? And he's still pretty sharp. It's just that he's belligerent, because I feel like people are taking these press conferences as like, oh, well, he's losing it. And Do you think he's losing it? Do you see that at all? I think he's belligerent and doesn't like the press. Um, as for whether or not there's any cognitive decline, um, you know, I'm not a doctor. I would hate to speculate on that. Um, I don't know enough about spotting signs of cognitive decline to really comment either way. Um, you know, he, he just seems like he's belligerent. I mean, the questions I've seen him ask, he does ask, but at the same time, I've also seen him stumble over words and, uh, there he was, his money line in his speech about infrastructure, if you go back and play the tape, he completely bungled it. And I'm not sure what entirely he was trying to say, but he completely bungled it and just moved on. But I could tell where that was in the speech. 
that was supposed to be the money line touting it, and it kind of didn't go anywhere. I mean, should that be concerning um, to us that we have a president who does bungle lines? Like, should that be concerning to us when we see him like that? Lines. I mean, you know, I, I, another example is uh, he had a press conference. He, he took president in the press about a week or so ago, and he meant to say one hundred and forty dollars. And he said one hundred or one hundred dollars. They said one hundred million, I think he said. But if you also look at Biden going back to when he was a senator, he always had gaffes like that. Where he would say, you know, he meant a billion and he'd say a million, or he'd say a hundred dollars and he meant a hundred million. So it's hard to know. It's really hard to know because he does have a history of gaffes. He he's had a history of stuttering. Um, so it's really hard to know how much of that is, you know, this is gaffes that he's made his whole career versus signs that a man his age, you know, things are starting to creep up. It, it, it's it's hard to say. I mean, without us ever getting a medical report. Um, it, it's hard to say. Well, and as reporters, I feel like they did they did highlight Trump's bungles more than this, and I think that's not fair in in a sense. They they should hi- highlight when this guy has no. when this president has issues. Also, all right, big question now: Will yeah. we be seeing you at the White House Correspondents' Dinner moving forward? Yes. As a matter of fact, I wasn't even a member of the White House Correspondents Association in 2019, and I went. My wife and I went. Uh, so we will probably be going in 2022 when they have it. I don't think they're having it this year. Uh, but now I'm a member of the White House Correspondents, so I have to go. So I will definitely be there. You will see me there. In your tux, I guess, and whatnot. That, that should be a fun oh, night. Oh, yeah, in my tux. Yes. Oh, be a, it is. I, I enjoy it. But, you know, I um, – it raises issues, you know, as I said, about the chumminess and what that projects to uh, the American people back home. So, Well, I know people get a kick out of it more so. They, they don't look at it as chumminess. They just think it's a great big laugh, although Obama made it so, I guess, during his years there. Yeah. All right. You're, yeah. you're, in the, you're in the Beltway. You're in D.C. You're a national fan. And I got to ask you about this because while you're a White House correspondent, mm-hmm. you're an avid sports fan for listeners who don't know about Jeff Mordock yep. and uh, – you know, your guy Scherzer beat the Mets yesterday. You guys must miss him. I mean, what what a strange turn of events for both the Cubs and the Nationals after winning championships a few years apart. The, the And the Nationals aren't going to be good for a while. We've got bad contracts. Patrick Corbin, the Strasburg is a bad contract. I love Steven Strasburg. Uh, I tried to get a Strasburg jersey after the World Series, and I actually could not get one because they were all sold out. I uh, had a, and I hate to say settle, but I had to settle for Scherzer jersey, and I love Max Scherzer. Uh, but I never would have given uh, Strasburg that contract. I understand why the Nationals did it. You're coming off a World Series. You don't want to look like the Marlins after 97 and 93, where you let all, I'm sorry, 97 and 03, where you let all your stars walk. You've got to bring him back. I get that. But at the same time, he's a guy that, I mean, is pretty much made out of glass. I mean, you look at him wrong and he has to go on the IL. And, you know, that history, that injury history should have been concerning to the Nationals because he's now for healthy. I mean, there's a guy, I, I honestly am convinced, if he were healthy for his whole career, we'd be talking about him as a Hall of Famer right now. And I don't think anybody's talking about him as a Hall of Famer right now because he's never been healthy. The In one fact, year he they was were... healthy, 2019, he was – in fact, they were very like thankful he was able to win a World Series because no one knew if he could uh, for quite a while there. That's why 19 yeah. was so special for him. Yep. Um, but the bottom line is Mike Rizzo, the Nationals GM, I mean, there's a lot of bad contracts. That Patrick Corbin contract was awful. Scherzer, I get that. Contract was coming up. You're going to get a big haul. They got a great haul for him. 
But I was a little sad to see Trey Turner go. I think Trey Turner and Juan Soto were the two guys you should have built around. I still have hope. I know Victor Robles is not having a good year. I think Victor Robles is a guy you could build for the future because there's very few players who can cover that much ground in center field. So um, I, I think, yeah, I, but I think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be bad for years to come. I think the Nationals are going to have to bottom out, have a couple of years where they draft people like Strasburg and Harper, like they did in 2009 and 2010, and work their way back up. I think for the next couple of years, the Marlins are going to be the better team because the Marlins have the young pitching, and we still have Patrick Corbin. You know, I got to ask this because I know Washington Times, they see you guys are online, but you're also a hard copy still in Washington, right? Do you guys still produce yeah. hard copies? Yeah, that's correct. Are there, are there any stands outside Nationals Park, or are you going to advocate to get one out there? Um, that's a good question. I honestly don't know if we have stands outside National Park. That's a very good question. I should find that out and get back to you. I, I don't know. Because if you, we don't, there should be. As a national fan, you should be like, you know what? I go to games. I want to see a Washington Times uh, uh, stand out there. Because you guys, what's the circulation anyway? Because I know we talk about it on the from the online perspective, but the, you guys are a whole paper copy still, and that's good to know, by the way. Because I feel like paper copy yeah, will I'm be not gone sure soon what enough. Our circulation is. I'm not sure what our circulation is. To be honest with you, I don't know. Um, you know, I try and stay out of the business decisions. That's not my job, and I don't want that to influence my reporting. So I try and stay away from that stuff. So I don't know. Uh, well, let me ask you this question. then. For you, when you see it, when you see your byline in the Washington Times newspaper as Washington correspondent, mm-hmm. at least the first time, or White House correspondent, first time must have been like, am I really here right now? You know, what's that like? Yes. It's very exciting. I'll tell you, my very first job, um, I, I was at a, a lousy, I must use the S word, but I, I know this is a family podcast, so I won't use it. But I was at a lousy real estate trade publication based in New York City. And it was my very first job out of college. And I was very excited. And I had my first byline in there. And it was just some stupid real estate transaction. It was not nothing, nothing that's going to catch anybody's notice. And I was very excited to see my first byline. And I remember this woman at the time who was the at that time is the age I am now saying to me, oh, it gets old and boring after a while seeing your byline. And to me, it never does. To me, it's always exciting to see my byline, regardless of where it is. Uh, Very, very exciting, especially here and seeing it attached to White House stories and um, very, very exciting. So, yeah, I love it. I, I, it makes my day to see it. I, it makes my day. And rightfully so, man. I mean, you, you've worked your heart, you know, your heart into this in Washington. And um, I, I don't know. I feel like you're such a humble guy. You wouldn't even have known that this opportunity would come up years ago when you were just, you know, branching out into Washington. No, the White House has never been on my radar. Never been, even when I started at the times I first moved to Washington, had no idea that this would ever be on my radar. Never. So. And now you're going to work hard to keep it, obviously, and, and see where you go from here. But congratulations, exactly. Jeff, on this. And, Thank uh, you, Alex. Appreciate it. Keep us posted. As you said, it might change by the hour. I hope not. I know that there's some mm-hmm. more gunfire happening in Kabul today. I just, it's tough to turn away from it, but you almost have to keep yourself sane. Is am I right on that? Like it's just getting depressing now. No, that's exactly right. It can it can get overwhelming. It can absolutely get overwhelming. So, and as um, you mentioned, we still have a COVID a crisis fact, here. Yeah. As you mentioned, we have COVID crisis here, yep. which is taking away from that issue too. Would you agree? 
I would agree. Well, we've got a multiple crises. We've got the COVID crisis. We've got inflation. We've got gas prices. And now we've got Afghanistan. Uh, and we've got the unchecked border. Don't forget the unchecked border where we've got people with COVID coming in. That's right. And that is not a conspiracy. That is a real fact that Jeff just said. And yeah. inflation, real quickly, I could talk to you for hours on this because there's so much to catch up on. The inflation thing I had seen in one of my local diner, you know, delis, we're going to have to raise prices. And they're saying it's because yeah. of the supply chain. And by the way, there's some more issues with the supply chain as a Chinese port got shut down. That's that's just horrible mm-hmm. right there. Um, but is there a combination, not just supply chain issues, but really a, a policy that's leading to this inflation? Well, I think it's the rampant spending. I think it's the rampant spending. I mean, there are supply chain issues, but I mean, the spending by this government, especially the Biden administration, is completely unchecked. And one of the things I find fascinating about the Biden administration is you look at any problem, whether it's rising crime in cities or COVID or whatever the situation is, their solution is always just to throw money at it. Well, we'll allocate billions for this. We'll allocate a million for that. You never see any creative policy. You never see any kind of unique ideas or unique solutions. It's just, let's just throw money at it. And all that spending is going to catch up to you. And, um, well, yeah, how, that, how, how, really how, how come Republicans were on board with this infrastructure plan? I'm glad you brought this up because I was really surprised. And is the Biden administration just I was going to, are, are they really on board to sign this? Have you heard anything like that will happen once it hits the desk? Uh, the Biden administration is definitely on board to sign it. The question is, where does this go in the House? It's going to be interesting in the House because you have progressives who don't like this plan because they don't think it goes even close to far enough. And you have conservatives who don't like this plan because it goes too far. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see some alliances. And I've seen this a few times when I've covered the Hill between Democrats, progressive Democrats and arch conservatives to, you know, put a pin in this and let's see what happens. So it'll be kind of interesting. Um, I am going to have to jump in a few minutes uh, for some Afghanistan updates, um, but I, I can stay for a couple more minutes. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> one last thing, and that is about the Repu- – and, and thank you for extending your time with me. This is great. But one last thing then on the Republicans no and the infrastructure. First of all, did you see the CBO report that they were going to do $415 billion in discretionary spending, that this deficit was going to lead to $256 billion more what conservative – I don't care I yeah. if you're a rhino or whatnot. What conservative signs up for that? Uh, that's my final question to you. I, I completely agree, and I was surprised you got 19 conservatives to sign up for it. And this argument that it's paid for is not accurate. Basically, this whole thing is going to just amount to another tax without calling it a tax. It's a way to tax us without Biden ever saying that he raised taxes on the middle class. But in the end, that's what this comes down to. And I know, and I know, voters are literally worried about that. That's what uh, sources are reporting. So, Jeff, thanks so much. As all this continues to unfold, please come back, and I'd love to have you weekly because yeah, I feel like absolutely. now the 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 heat's turned up on this administration, and we got to cover it more. So, yeah. we'd love to have you back. Absolutely, I, I would look forward to that. Thanks, I appreciate it. You got it. Uh, that is Jeff Mordock. He is at the Washington Post, uh, Washington Times. Sorry, Washington Times. And you can find him on Twitter, by the way. I'll get you that right now. Uh, at Jeff. There we go. Jeff Mordock. Simply at Jeff Mordock. J-E-F-F Mordock. And uh, he's on Twitter. And follow the Washington Times at Wash Times. I'm Alex Garrett, where we're always adapting. And man, we have to adapt to this administration now a little more and cover it a little more as well. I'm Alex Garrett. Talk to you soon.